Hello, creatives. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back to Convo by Design. I'm Josh Cooperman, and this journey of ours in search of amazing design, architecture, furnishings, and art is in its ninth year now. And I am so happy that you're joining me for another episode. A special note, this is a throwback, if you will. Every so often, I try to bring back past conversations so you can hear them again. And this one is special. It was recorded live at the Pacific Design Center in 2015. It was called Capitals of Style and featured Jane Hallworth, Ashley Hicks, and Vincent Wolfe, moderated by Dan Rubenstein with a forward by Jeff Sampson, then VP of Marketing for the Pacific Design Center and whom many of us in the SoCal design community miss dearly. I wanted to republish this one because while travel has always been a top influencer for designers, travel is now so hot again, it's time for both discovery and rediscovery. It's time to recharge the batteries. It's time to get out and while you're at it, to go see some world-class design and architecture. Something tells me this conversation from seven years ago holds as true today as it did then. Enjoy. For well over a year now, you have been hearing incredible conversations, interviews, and panels with amazing creative talent as part of our Wellness and Design Thought Leadership series presented by Thermosol. It has been and continues to be an absolute joy working with the entire team at Thermosol from the top down. This multi-generational family business has been producing the gold standard in steam generators, saunas, steam showers, and steam shower accessories for decades. Thermosol is the original steam shower with technology that is state-of-the-art, made and manufactured in the United States. The company's history with steam showers started by David Altman in 1958. Murray Altman acquired Thermosol's steam bath division in 1989, and the company is now led by Mitch Altman from their world-class production facility in Round Rock, Texas. The most successful designers and architects are using steam showers to maximize wellness, relaxation, and enjoyment for their clients. Thermosol is a staunch advocate for the design trade, and I am so proud to have them as a presenting partner of Convo by Design and the Wellness and Design Thought Leadership Series. If not familiar with the entire range of Thermosol products, please check out thermosol.com. Wow, good morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Pacific Design Center's 2015 Fall Market. Uh, we celebrate the innovation and diversity of design across the hemispheres with three keynotes, featuring leading international tastemakers exploring the world's most fascinating destinations and their influence on the practice of architecture, interior, and product design. In addition to this morning's keynote, we invite you back to the conference center uh, to attend our afternoon program, The French Connection at 2 p.m., featuring a panel of Parisian product design and art innovators moderated by the Hollywood Reporter's Vegan Penner. And at the end of the day today, we have a closing session at 5.30 p.m., The Walk to Elsie's, presented by Hunt and Wilkinson in Suite B200. Uh, as fall market unfolds, we are proud to offer a comprehensive day of showroom programs, events, and product introductions to inform, educate, and inspire design professionals including Sherwin-Williams Color Mix 2016, presented by Dura Lee at 11 a.m. in Suite B500. 
Retro Trends in Contemporary Design with designers David Dalton, Laurie Dennis, and Lonnie Paul at 12 p.m. in the newly renovated Innovation Showroom in Suite M20. The Fine Art of Rug Weaving at Holly Hunt, B Suite B377, also at noon. And two presentations hosted by Thomas Lavin featuring design consultant Lloyd Princeton at 1 p.m. in the Thomas Lavin Showroom and Daring Hall's Wired and Inspired Virtual Showhouse at 4 p.m. here in the Conference Center. Also, we're really excited to announce a 20,000 square feet of new, expanded, and renovated showrooms here at the PDC for you to shop for market. Uh, they include Samuel & Sons, Quintus Home, Jay Geiger Shading Technology, Seagal Art Deco, Innovations, Baker, James Purse, and the soon-to-open Holland & Sherry. Uh, all of this information, of course, is available in the market uh, newsletter content, which is available throughout the building. Um, and then we actually ask you to join us later today after the keynote uh, with departures in the panel for reception at the Lee Jofa showroom, Suite B639. This morning, we begin our exploration of global glamour with our keynote, Capitals of Style, featuring a distinguished panel of international tastemakers that I have the pleasure to introduce to you, beginning with Jane Hallworth. Known for a strong architectural foundation, an innovative use of color, and idiosyncratic combinations of furniture she collects for her clients, Jane Hallworth has quietly become a go-to resource for Los Angeles elite looking to infuse their homes with imaginative mixes of blue-chip 20th century cutting-edge contemporary pieces and rarefied antiques. As a trendsetter among tastemakers, Hallworth's unmistakable style has garnered a following that led to a product line at Blackman Cruz. Ashley Hicks is an interior, furniture, and textile designer based in London and Oxfordshire, England. Since 2003, he has been creating collections of David Hicks by Ashley Hicks fabrics, carpet, and wallpaper available in the U.S. through Lee Jofa, and he has also published the definitive review of his late father David's life and work. At the top of the Manhattan design industry for over 35 years, world-renowned interior designer Vincent Wolfe has been named one of the most influential designers by Architectural Digest and inducted into the Designer Hall of Fame by Interior Design Magazine. Having published three design books and currently working on his fourth, based on the four elements of air, earth, fire, and water, his new work focuses on design inspirations found throughout the world through eyes of a traveler. Vincent's projects range from luxury hotels in Macau to Las Vegas and to celebrity homes such as Clive Davis and Julianne Margulies. His lifelong work as a prominent designer has granted him world recognition and an honorary doctorate from the Boston Architectural College for his work in the design field. To moderate our panel, we are excited to collaborate with Departures Magazine, which is as relevant as a partnership for our theme as it is a rare opportunity for us. Departures is the leading voice of luxury, distributed exclusively to American Express Platinum and Centurion members. A lifestyle sourcebook for the stylish affluent, Departures is a call to action on where to go, how to go, and what to know now. With a rich 26-year history of inspiration and influence, the 2013 launch of Departures Home and Design was a natural complement. Now publishing two times per year, Departures Home and Design provides readers with the ultimate guide to the world of design. Helming both the magazine's design edit and today's keynote is Dan Rubenstein. Dan joined Departures in March 2015 as the home and design editor. Previously, Dan was editor-in-chief of Surface Magazine and began his career at House and Garden in 2003. During his 15 years as a career as a writer, editor, and consultant, Dan's work has appeared in the New York Times, Architectural Digest, Monocle, Dwell, and most notably, Departures. So now please join me in welcoming Dan, Jane, Ashley, and
Uh, good morning, everybody. Thank you all for coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to the panel. Um, the way we're going to be sort of exploring this theme of travel and design uh, is walking through three different sort of presentations uh, from each of the designers, and then we're, we're going to sort of uh, speak together, and then we'll have followed up by some Q&A with the audience and, and talk about uh, everyone's work here. Um, and just to move things along, we're going to start right off. Um, Vincent, I believe you are up first. Yeah. All right. <laughs> now, of course, clicker on. There you go. Okay, so tell me about, I mean, you travel constantly. We were just speaking about, you do a lot of hospitality projects. And where, how does travel fit in with your sort of creative process in terms of where we're starting off here? Well, to me, I like to travel out of comfort level. I find that the industry that I'm involved is one of unreality. It's a reality, but it's unreal. And so I like to go to places where my experiences sort of brings me down to earth. Uh, on the left-hand side is India, uh, and to me it was just the fog in the morning, or smog, whichever one it was. Uh, but being in LA, you all know about that. Uh, and on the right-hand side is a space that I just did in Florida. And the table was originally inspired by India. It's 19th century and it's Italian, but it has that Indian sort of feel. So I'm always trying to bring conceptually what I see in my travels into my design. And so, ooh, uh, that's the big one. Uh, so, <laughs> I knew I should talk about laying a bomb. Why now? On the left tell me is, what I'm seeing here. is in the Taj Mahal, but what I loved about it was the continuation of all these arches, but in second was the color of the walls which in doing this bedroom in uh, the Hamptons, I, uh, somebody really heavy is walking, or, uh, and I painted the back wall sort of in the same coloration, which is really, to me, it's such a warm and really wonderful color. And do you, uh, when you travel, do you doc, how do you like to document what you're I, I photograph them, uh, and I, I use them in books, I use them sometimes in articles that I work on, so it's just the things that catch my eye. I, I love all these turbans all, you know, stacked one on top of the other. But again, the same color of the walls repeated in this bedroom where there were things from uh, Indonesia, Italy, uh, Thailand, uh, France, all mixed together, which are all being picked up in my travels, and they're all shipped back to the U.S. Um, again, coloration is so important of, of the things that I pick up when I'm traveling. So I may take a picture like this and then repeat it in a room. <clears throat> Not always exactly, but I try to sort of capture in my memory what were the colors that I saw and how it was playing against it. And then I try to recreate it in spaces. And do you, I mean, when you said you photograph things, because to me, when I talk to designers now, it's, everything seems to be much more about moments. We're talking about Instagram and Ashley's uh, activities on Instagram, which is always uh, amazing to see. Uh, is it more about like capturing moments or is it more about capturing kind of Visual. object found, you know, this color that I found at a market? Or yeah, just sort of moments. 
you know, whatever, I try to go always by gut. And whatever, when I'm looking at something, it sort of touches me. I try to capture it. And it's, you know, it's hard because it's usually like an instant. So it's to see it, to pick up the camera, take the picture, and then remember what it was when I see the images again. Uh, again, it seems all, it's all about India. The coloration here, this is a wall in the Taj Mahal, and how I, again, repeated within a room, all those dusty roses and the creams and the darker taupes are just always, you know, I think that our biggest problem is very rarely do we see things. And I try when I'm traveling to really try to see and focus in what I'm really looking at and try to then incorporate it into my work. And how do you translate some of these things for your, your team that you work with? Like, how, do you, how do you like to communicate these kinds of uh, moments? The design to, part is being done by me. So it is, they see it after it's been, they taste it after it's almost finished cooked. Okay. You know, they, so I, I really literally don't hook, pill, hook up, I'll pull out this picture and say, okay, now I'm going to match the colors. It's just, I like to see it and then try to recreate it from memory. So I'm pulling it together in a more instinctual way than literal, like, okay, now this matches this. It's all sort of what's in the file in my head that I try to pull out. And do you, uh, do you speak to, how do you speak to clients about this kind of thing? Do you? I don't. You don't. <laughs> uh, no, because you see. Words of wisdom. Uh, no, the more you, you know, it, it takes, that's about romance. And I think that they are already confused enough when they're seeing a present. Uh, Listen to this no, guy. When you're presenting something, they're not sort of like, oh, and this color came from, they don't give up. Uh -huh. sure, they just yeah. want to understand why did you use this color? How is it relating to the other? It's all background information that really, yes, maybe when it's all finished, you can say it. But it's, it's, I think it's too much information at a moment when they're trying to absorb and understand something that's most of the time beyond their range of mm -hmm. fully envisioning what you're really talking about. And tell us about this project. Uh, just, just the relationship. This is a window in Jaipur, and you see all the colors. And again, how it can really represent within a space, and in this particular case, I mean, the rug came from India, uh, the urns came from Thailand, the, the table I bought in Paris... So it's, you know, just how what you see doesn't always have to be literal, how you can take it into a space and just sort of interpret what you've seen before. That's it? Uh, uh, no. Oh, no. Now we have uh, well, one. Um, again, just colors, Ethiopia, uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, Thailand. So... I try to buy things because I'm, when I'm, I have a shop, VW Home, so I'm always buying and shipping back. So I buy things that when they are put together don't look like souvenirs, but they really integrate themselves into a space. And I think that that's important when you're traveling. The things that you buy should shuffle into that space and be sort of cohesive with the whole concept of what you are designing.
And do you go to Ethiopia often? Did you? I've been there twice. Great. Really, the, when you go to the north, to Lalibela and all that, it's all the, you know, it goes back to uh, King, uh, he gave her the tablets. I'm bad with names. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but who gave the tablets um, to the Queen of uh, Solomon? Right. Okay. Um, so it's all about, goes back to that time. And then you go to the south, and there are people walking around naked, you know, bare-breasted. And so you're buying very primitive things in the south and much more sophisticated things in the north. Great country. And what do you look for when you go there? Like, what, what would you suggest that someone take a, like a... I say you do the both ends, because when you go to the north, you're seeing, like, these churches that have been built into the ground, and, you know, the, the, the artistry of the religion and all of that. And then in the South, you just see tribes, you know, they're just literally, I mean, I bought a necklace and the necklace was uh, caps of ballpoint pens mixed with buttons, mixed with the tip of a intravenous thing, you know, and they made them with nuts, made all these necklaces that were just so modern in that how they incorporated all these elements together. Uh, you know, it was folk art. It's just really amazing. Uh, Ethiopia. The, the, the canes came, you know, they, they cut a piece of a tree and they make it into a cane. And I bought a whole collection of them. And the juxtaposition of the canes to these vertical air grills that we did to really increase the height of the ceiling was really part of what I try to do with the objects that I bring. Mm -hmm. I yin and yang it in the space. And just sort of one plays off the other one. We'll be right back with more right after this. I know you love talking about great partnerships the same way I do. Let me tell you about an incredible design partner who is working with us on the Convo by Design Remote Design House Tulsa project, Franz Wigner. A company created in 1899 in Attendorn, Germany. They started manufacturing brass beer taps. In 1921, the company expanded to Buenos Aires manufacturing brass faucetry. The company launched in the U.S. in 1992, and Franz Wigner Premium Collection began in 2008. Franz Wigner crafts high-quality premium faucets with the objective to create a design-oriented luxury product that exceeds the standards set by world-class designers and architects. Pretty heady stuff, and they do it. If you see a Franz Wigner faucet, it is stunning. You use Franz Wigner faucets, and they perform flawlessly. Product you can depend on after over 120 years designing a truly stunning faucet line. For more information and to check out the entire line of faucets, visit FranzWigner.com. So I'm going to spell it for you, right? <laughs> F-R-A-N-Z-V-I-E-G-E-N-E-R.com. Thank you, Franz Wigner. Oh, oh now it's your headache. Wow, you take it, you take it. Oh, you take it. I didn't read the name. It's, and I have a laser pointer, and I can, I can point at people like, there we go. Actually, this is actually your home? Or this, this is, work? yeah. This is, this is, um, yeah, no, this is an apartment in, in London, a, a rather old building in London built in 1803 um, as, as apartments first. Where, um, where in, in London? London. They're called Albany in Piccadilly, next to the Royal Academy of Arts. And, and my father had lived here um, for 20 years, and then my mother, after he died, 
and, and my father had done some very kind of um, that horrible modern word, iconic um, decoration in there, mm. very sort of famous and very much imprinted on my memory as well as other people. Um, and so I was determined to purge it of all yeah. of that antiques <laughs> look and do something quite different, something that he would have rather disliked. Oh. <laughs> and I also had the idea that at the time I was single, my wife had decided she'd rather not live with me any longer, very sensibly, but much, much more adapted to her taste. Um, and, and so I was alone in this place, and so I sort of slightly pictured myself as a cranky old man, perhaps moving into a farm that had belonged to some cranky old man who left behind this decoration. There was sort of reminiscences of his travels, um, possibly you know, some time ago, maybe shortly after the building was done. And, and I also very much liked the idea of having tapestry on the walls. And, and I also liked to paint things and make things myself. Um, and so I put all these things together and, and stuck Hessian fabric, sort of burlap, on the walls and, and then painted them with this grisaille, sort of brunei um, technique um, onto the fabric. And it's very open weave fabric, so it, it looks very much like tapestry under there. Oh. And so I created this scheme with uh, a panorama of Constantinople, which is the guy now to Istanbul. It was so much nicer when it was Constantinople. Um, and it was painted by a Frenchman in 1818, before they built the railway that ruined Top Cafe and all the other horrible modern things that happened in the city. And how, lo how large is the, uh, is the space? Uh, the, the apartment? In, oh, it's in just two big rooms. Two, two I mean, big, you know, not big in, in Los Angeles. Too. Um, it, this is the miniature little entrance hall, um, and, and so in there, I wanted to have a very warm feeling, um, in contrast to the cold stone staircase that goes up to it. Um, and so I, I covered the walls with cork, um, like Marcel Proust's bedroom in Paris, where he tried to close out the modern world, and the sound of it particularly with cork on the walls. So I thought that gave quite a rich sort of finish, and, and then a gilded ceiling. Sort of reminiscent of traveling somewhere, I don't know where. <laughs> and how long did it take you to do the project from beginning to end? Uh, well, it's still ongoing, I'm afraid. It's been slightly delayed by four months spent um, sort of getting married, which is a tremendous mistake, apart from anything else. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an apartment designed for a bachelor. So, right now, my wife's going to fit in, I'm not sure. Um, she promises she won't make too much of a mess. And so, here is the view you see of, of the Golden Horn and one of the mosques of um, Constantinople on the hill. And, and then I, I designed these sort of hanging bronze discs of, of a sort of very modern looking element beside the confused one. <coughs> Not quite clear what century we're actually in. And, and then there are nine of the Greek muses, um, statues of them from museums around the world, which I haven't actually seen. To Russia, quite a lot of them were in the Hermitage, um, but I don't really need to get an hour of them on the wall there anyway. Nice. Life size. We should. We should. We uh, should. But I actually, I did want to say, <laughs> you're, you're, uh, uh, you're. You did pick up some love of pattern. I see uh, from your father. From oh, yes, yeah, you know, especially uh, when it comes to carpeting and. Looks, what, what would you say you're? Your father would not like about this when you said he, he would well, hate it. Well, he wouldn't. But I mean, we don't know. He, possibly, if he saw it now, then he might you know, quietly, I don't know, but to somebody else, he might say, well, I like it. Um, 
But, but he didn't he didn't really approve of, of faux painting or Jean Blois painting mm-hmm. that was done after the eighteenth century. I mean, it's just about a right in the nineteen thirties, but certainly today it should never ever be done. Right. And if it is going to be done, it should certainly not be done by by an amateur. And he and so is this the other where where are we here? This is the same sort of living room if you see in the fireplace. Um, yeah, and, and then I, I make these funny sculptures. Which I quite often make bits of art for my clients um, or myself. Um, and, and so this thing on the right, you see the, the forms that I make in clay and cast in a clear resin, colored resin. And is there, uh, when you set out to design this, how did you, do you want me to, did you want me to, yeah. Wait, if you go on, you uh, there's a picture of it. Ah, okay. Ah, okay, great. And so do you, how do you integrate travel with your work? We were just speaking uh, just a few minutes ago of all the places you were going and you frequent a lot of museums and how do you... I do. I don't, I don't particularly normally take something I've seen and put it into something unconsciously anyway. But I think over the years you've sort of built up a, a kind of a reservoir of imagery and inspiration that all gets sort of mixed up. I, I think it's very hard normally to focus on one particular source for anything. Um, but here, really, the travel thing is more just looking out of a virtual window with, um, to get out the side of, of Istanbul. And with those sort of uh, Trump Loy kind of. Uh, Ideas. Is there anything you know? Once you go through a, a big project like that, is there anything that you found, you know, that you wish you had known when you started something like that? Is there anything kind of piece of golden advice you'd give to anyone that was going to try to do something that is so? Well, it really, just that it's incredibly easy. Bizarrely, um, it, it sort of looks, you know, it sort of looks like it might be a bit of a challenge, or, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe everyone looks at it. You know, it looks incredibly easy. But quite a lot of people say to me, you know, oh my god. Really not. I mean, partly because of modern technology. So instead of having an army of assistants drawing up tremendously large cartoons and then cooking holes with that sort of Michelangelo or something, um, I just used Photoshop. So I photoshopped on the, the, the you know, original 1818 panorama and then a frame of ivy which I photographed in the country and drew these discs and then got a projector, projected it on the wall at night. Traced on the uh-huh. thing and, and then painted. In, and if you're painting onto a medium toned ground, then you just put on the highlights and the darks. Mm-hmm. So it's actually very little work. You're only covering about a third of the wall surface. So I, I did the entire place in six weeks. Oh, wow. Which obviously is quite a large chunk of time for most busy designers because they have large offices and endless work and endless assistance or say, what can we do now? But I'm in the very spoiled position of not employing any assistance. It's a great joy of my life. So I can do exactly what I want when I want. And how did you choose the furniture? Um... Well, the, the furniture, this is, uh, there are two antique bits of furniture. This sofa, which I inherited from my grandmother, um, and I covered it with one of my new prints from my National Textures collection, which is downstairs in the showroom. Um, and, and then there's one other piece of antique furniture, which I bought on the earth here. But the, um, the, the, all the rest of it, everything else I made. Uh, and so here, this is looking through into the bedroom. I, I feel this is going on too long. 
Bedroom. All right, here. We're almost there. Anyway, no, no, no. This clearly is the bedroom, and, and so there's the most this existing niche, you see, with a shallow arch, yeah. which I'd drawn from my father when he lived there and redecorated it. What is the place to put his grandfather's massive mahogany bookcase? So I made that niche for him. Um, and then the massive mahogany bookcase was removed. And, and I realized if I filled it up with a mirror, it would look as if I had not with either four rooms instead of just the two. Mm. Um, and so actually, my neighbors, if they come in, they, they die of jealousy because they walk in and they say, Oh my God, you've got them through, you've got them the bathroom next door. <laughs> because the bed only has two rooms, but of course, actually, it's, it's just a mirror. And tell me about that uh, table in the middle. Well, that table in the middle, I, I made myself. That's rather inspired by travel, I suppose. When I, I go stay with my sister India in the Bahamas, which she did in the very sort of and so I go swimming out to a reef, and there's all sorts of wonderful coral formations. I love coral. And, and so I carved that out of um, some pine and, and then gilded it myself, which I'm not proud of. And then made a faux corporate top. I love the use of blue because it doesn't seem like some, uh, with everything else, it really sticks. It, it's quite amazing. What are we looking at here? Well, well that's just the, the, uh, the, the drawers of a desk. Ah, okay. In, in the room, yeah. And did you make this one yourself as well? Again, again, well, that one, no, I had someone make it, but I designed it. Or you designed it. I designed it, but the handles I make out of clay, and then I can cast in bronze. And then there in the corner of the room, um, slight inspiration from Gulliver's Travels, the second book, where he's kept a prisoner by the King of Brobdignag, you know, and, and yeah, builds a sort of um, doll's house style palace for Gulliver to live in, and comes and looks in through the, through the window of the doll's house, uh, through this giant eye, and he sort of like that. And over the door is um, a bit of old Athens that was now in the British Museum. Um, that's enough. Uh, what? It keeps going. Yeah. No. So, there, there's. Oh, yeah, that, that sort of travel, I suppose. Um, this is a, 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 a joke. Again, I have a French client who would be years of voting Castillo's actress. Um, so she's been in my hell. But also nice. You know, another. Um, but anyway, she always, whenever I say, let's do this, she says, it's not big enough. C'est à Versailles, which is an awful French slang expression. But, you know, it's a small place. It's not Versailles. And so I thought it was funny in the kitchen, which is the smallest kitchen on earth, um, to, to have a very grand looking gilded lettering that I carved saying, sit at the outside, across <laughs> the top. And then you click onto the next picture. Um, and, and underneath it is a bit of Versailles, which is a photograph I took of some of Louis XIV's gilded bronze work um, in the Salon d'Apollon at Versailles, printed on the back of glass as a splashback. So it's a sort of and then that's the tiny, tiny bathroom. And, and they're souvenirs of all of my travels. I like to go to museums around the world and take pictures of the stuff in the display cases. And, and then assemble them all in Photoshop again into a, a sort of virtual museum printed on the back of glass. So that's something I can enjoy. And there, now, now you've been relieved. Thank you. Okay. How does one follow that? I don't know. <laughs> careful, careful. Quickly, we'll, we'll, I'll, click, I'll click quickly. <laughs> Thank okay. you. There's only like five photos. <laughs> Would you have a nice, uh, so 
tell me about this project. Where, where are we here? Um, this is quite an iconic house in Los Angeles. It's the Brody House by A. Quincy Jones. And it was designed um, for Francis Brody. And why I have that is because I thought it was an awesome challenge to try and come in um, under such a provenance of, of fabulousness. And primarily I have that because I'm a lighting designer as well as an interior designer. And the pieces up the wall that needed to be... The, the room itself used to have a Matisse, or this outdoor court, courtyard had a Matisse that's now at the LACMA. And so there was very little scale in the room at that point. And so we decided that we needed lighting. Well, I decided that it needed lighting. And why I picked this photo is because there's such a cross-pollination in those pieces. They're, they are uh, concrete manhole covers from, from France that were reclaimed. Um, but, the, but the print on them is very much inspired by Mayan architecture. We called them the Aztec calendars. I don't know what just happened. It just got very loud. Uh, was well, it me? Keep going. So essentially, uh, I should have included a photo of them lit, but they did this wonderful thing in that at night they're very dramatic, but during the day they have this sort of primitive um, uh, scale and, 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 and cross-pollinated influence, influences on the space. So for me it was very interesting to add them to that space and to, to work on that was a huge privilege and an honor just because of its provenance. So I included that for that reason. But mainly, I mean, obviously I haven't traipsed around crop circles in Britain or, you know, okay. seen some of these places. But what I wanted to focus on when you were talking about the destinations of the world is that, you know, in, in our world, the imagination is one of the most fabulous destinations. And so for me, it was the ambition to be in certain places as much as having visited these places. And I've been around the world and, and sometimes your imagination seems more flawless and the flaws in in travel is are they're phenomenal but i'm also the imaginary world for me is very important so that's probably now i'm not the best photographer this was a phenomenal experience because a client of i of, of ours um took us to the vatican at midnight and so we were walked through there was eight of us and so you'll see that there's no people and we got to see the sistine chapel at midnight with no other people in the room. And I wasn't allowed to take any photographs of people, which my favorite image would have been the gentleman, the Swiss guard with the keys locking each door behind us as we walked through this phenomenal space. But the influence of that is that, you know, obviously I don't design like that, but that these spaces, they open your mind to color and texture, but mainly that they blow away the cobwebs, your creative cobwebs. And whenever you think you're in the mire of what you do or you're known for one thing, when you travel, it, the experience is, is refreshing and it, and it cleanses your palate but also your soul. So that's why I, I included that because that's probably the most phenomenal thing that, we, that I experienced. And then I added this. This is a photo on the right of a ranch that I own in San Inez. The photo in the center is my office. And the bottom photo is also of the ranch that I have in San Inez. And when you talk about travel, for me, the most important thing that I ever, the gift of travel was that every weekend I travel to San Inez and every weekend I feel that I am replenished because Los Angeles can be, especially in the design community, a very intense space, a place to be. Mm. And for me, it's giving yourself the gift of doing something 
not necessarily regularly, but, but experience local travel as much as these international cities are incredibly inspiring, just what is elemental can be equally inspiring. So I thought that that added, that was an important, an important thing to recognize. At least for me, that's one of the primary things that keeps the challenge of change. And also that, that we deal in a very glamorous world, but that sometimes the very primitive. I'm, I'm incredibly filthy when I'm there. From the minute I get there, I am covered in dust. I have horses. I have crazy hair. And, well, I have crazy hair day to day. But, you know, I, I, I relish the fact that I'm so distant from something like the Brody and that I'm far away and that it's not very far away from my home, but it's, it's incredibly replenishing to be there. No, so this, it, tell me about the, the relationship here. Well, this is probably where I was most literally influenced. Um, this is, on the photo on the right is the Amber Fort in Rajasthan. And what I love in Indian culture is layers. And I've been to India a few times, um, but, and this is probably my best photograph. I'm not the best photographer. I tend to get caught up in the moment where I don't take photos because... I'm so, you know, it's like watching a balloon on, the, on, a, on a current. I'm just mesmerized by things, and I forget that technology even exists. So I rely on my imagination incredibly, or my memory, or because I haven't quite joined a digital age. And I think that what's interesting, what I loved about traveling to India is that there's so many layers, there's so many patterns, and you can either take that quite literally, or you can do that with an homage to color as, but this was an office for a young gentleman uh, and he bought the house next door to his primary residence. Um, and the funny thing is, is that he would get delivery tray service from the, uh, from the local hotel, from a very famous hotel. And so this was a, a house that was designed as an office and we took remnants of, uh, of buildings from India and architectural fragments. But when I've, I went to India twice, um, or two different times at the polar extremes of, of, of how to travel. I went once as a student for eight weeks with a backpack, and the smallest backpack because I wanted to blend in. I didn't want the big roll behind my head, and I wanted a more elegant backpacking experience. <laughs> so um, I went once as a student and I stayed for, I had $100 and I stayed for eight weeks. Um, and I came back with a miniature painting. So I was very proud of myself. <laughs> and what was amazing is that they reclaim serious architectural, architectural homes. I was stayed in a Maharaja's palace that had gone to far, gone to ruin, and they had whitewashed everything. So there was no detail. And that was, the photo on the left is an homage to that because I've also stayed in places that are the sort of polar opposite and the extreme where you're staying in an incredibly wealthy hotel that, that you've never seen wealth. When you see wealth in India, I don't think you've seen anything quite so, so lavish. But just having the influence of layers, but also um, the details, I appreciated them um, blanketed, you know, like put in almost like a, a tea cozy of color. Like just, they've just completely and utterly whitewashed the, and all of the color and made it that it was about the detail. And so that particular residence was an homage to that, like my most primitive experience in India.
And then, about th- this is, is this your lighting, I'm assuming? It is. Shamefully, I'm self, shameful self-promotion here. Um, and we, we, were, we were talking about destinations. And for me, you know, we, I just discussed it. I, for me, I would really like to, where, where would I like to go next? And living in the world of the imagination at the moment, but I imagine in my life, lifetime that space and that travel will, that space travel will be something that we can all participate in. Uh, that's my hope. And so I, I do a series of lighting that's based on the constellations. But this goes back to the reference of the ranch as well, because you don't actually see the stars in primary, in major cities. So I am constantly stargazing. I've become an amateur, like, you know, the first time that I could see Sagittarius across the night sky, which is massive, by the way. I was like, oh my God. I, it was phenomenal that I, that just to recognize the pattern. And for me, lighting is, it, lighting in a pattern is, uh, is really charming. And, and in terms of travel, that would be the ultimate destination for me. So. All right, I think that's... Mine was a quickie. (laughs) (laughs) And one of my questions was, uh, when speaking about references, when you're working with a client, Mm -hmm. um, I was writing a story about a hotel, and the, the woman who commissioned the architect to do the interior were like, told me a story of how she pulled a red dress that she got in Paris and she didn't want to say from where and she gave it to the designer and said, like, that's what I'm looking for. Give me that. And she, you know, using these references directly to a designer. And so when you're working with clients, how do you approach these references or do you have any stories of, of certain clients that may have given you uh, a reference or their own travel experiences or anything and how you're translating those kinds of things when it's coming not from you, but from the other way around. This is for any, anyone, anyone here. I mean, I work for quite a few people who are narrative-based in their own careers, so actors, actresses. And so what's nice about that, and I don't, it's not, um, you know, it's irrelevant what a client does, but for that particular type of client, you can come up with a, you'll sit and have a drink with the client and say, okay, this is what I'm thinking, and it's Alice in Wonderland, it's down the rabbit hole, and then we do this. And, and, and if you have the right client, they'll get into the idea of the narrative before they'll even look at a fabric or a piece of furniture. And if you can get them on that level to understand you as a designer and you are describing a world that they want to live in, then, or, or a narrative that, that they would like to participate in, I think that that's the moment that you have synergy from, from the get-go. Because you can always reference back, even if it's as this hypothetical story, um, but there's, there's so many ways. Like I'm working on a, on a house at the moment, and we just bought 50 yards of fabric, and it's, the idea was that we're going to do a, a tablecloth that's like Dior's new look. And I said, so we're going to be cinched in and really, and I'm not really known for massive textile stories. And just at the moment that I said, new look, you know that photo? And she was like, absolutely, let's do it. Because underneath is a plywood table that nobody cares about, but we've spent all of our budget on fabric. And that's new for me, and that's very exciting. And so, Vincent, what about you? Do you, how do you, do you deal with clients that come to you with a travel photograph or, or something where they're showing you references in, in the reverse? No, I try... Because I love to travel, I try to bring them into the conversation to find out where have they been and what do they, you know, if they say, oh, I like the Ritz in, in Paris, 
or to say, oh, I love a little shack in Papua New Guinea, that tells you a little bit about what, where their aspiration is. But what I've used, uh, which is a new book that I'm coming out with, I try to use the, the four elements, fire, earth, air, water. And I just ask them, where do you see yourself? And they can immediately relate. So I use that then as a guiding thing. Um, that's where I found that the easiest to try to get out of them, how do they perceive themselves and how do they want to live? Yeah. And Ashley, what about you? How do you, when, you know, if you show a client your own apartment, I'm sure they would kind of feel intimidated to kind of bring this very rich sense of inspiration or... <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever dealt with that when someone's coming to you with various references and travel experiences or... Not really, no, more. People, people quite often come in London anyway, don't about yet. They, they, they arrive and they've got this on a folder. Yes. Stuff they've cut out of magazines <laughs> over the preceding years. And they sort of, you know, I, I remember one uh, American who backed out to his wife in London, and, and she, she was in tears, sobbing. She wasn't my client, she was somebody else's client. And she came to see me, she was sort of a friend, she came to me and she was sobbing. And down the telephone about her bathroom. Oh, you know, he hasn't understood. He's been ruined everything. And she came to my house, I said, well, come on, look. She came, and she was enormously pregnant. Oh, my God. So she, she came, and, and she has her photograph that he was supposed to have replicated, the spirit of, and it was a Thierry Despont bathroom. But I don't think it was Bill Gates's, but it was somebody like that, you know, the size of this room. She had a tiny London bathroom. And I was sort of going, it's just not. There's no similarity. <laughs> <laughs> That's what people tend to arrive with in my experience. Do you try to steer them? Do you try to steer your clients into Just kind of? Know. How do you, yeah. How do you, how do you deal with that when someone comes to you and says? I, mean, I love show and tell. I'm, I'm more interested in looking at what pictures they brought than them going through my work. Uh, but it's sort of interesting because you have an apartment in New York with eight foot ceilings. But they're showing you a place with 15-foot ceilings and beams. And, and it's like, where is the relationship, as you're saying? I mean, what are, so what I try to do is I say, well, what is it about this space that's appealing? It's not, your, it's not what your apartment is, so what is it? Or is it the light, or is it the sense of openness, or is it the sense of the traditional elements? I try to, like, focus in on what it is that really is appealing to them because they can't think that their room is going to be this room. So I try to, like, analyze what, what they're looking at. But I love looking at their pictures, you know. So, oh, you didn't go to them, you came to me, you know. Right. I understand. If you like their work, why don't you go to them? Why don't right. you come to me? But I'm not going to say that, you know. Uh, I have designers that I meet at parties and they say, Oh, you know, my client loved your work. They showed me all your work in pictures. I said, why not? Didn't you hire me then? Why did you go to this guy? But, you know, try to be gracious. <laughs> Angry, but gracious. It's your biggest failing, too gracious. Um, uh, you'll learn. No, just kidding. Um, moving uh, back to travel a little bit. When, 
you know, a lot of people reference India and you mentioned, you know, Ethiopia. Do, do you guys have any other, what is your sort of secret place where you would tell another designer, young designer or someone who wants to go and be inspired? Like, where would you tell them to go where, that you feel is sort of underrepresented in the world of, um, we were mentioning also Jaipur before. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, where do you, where do you like to go? Ashley, where do you like to travel to? New Jersey. When you're, you know, uh, <laughs> that must have long. Really, really, really got in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> yeah, I like getting just about anywhere. Really, I mean, I absolutely love staying home. God, it's a thousand miles just to stay home. And, and it also, what you were saying about it, traveling and the imagination is so special. And I, I love, and I've got endless books on Chinese gardens. I, I, no real urge to actually go and see them in reality. I think they're really rather full of, you know, giant that. But, um, but, but in photographs, that's so beautiful. And I've got a little Chinese moon gate made out of ivy in my own garden. And if I walk through that, I'm like that. No, I... Need to get, but no, I, I mean, I, I think that, to be honest, actually, I, I do find, you know, museum traveling possibly the most inspirational thing because you have so much of everything and I was just in you know Dallas and Houston and, and not even the Manil or the Kimball but actually just the city museums there they, they, they're you know confidential cities but they've got these very rich collections in the museum and really if you live in Dallas you could, you could get a huge inspiration from that one museum not saying very spoiled living in London but an incredible museum do you have a do you have a, a ritual and how you approach museums? I know like in New York I always like to do it on a Sunday morning and I like to go alone and I like to, you know, spend a certain time I like to see one exhibit and then just wander and then I after I wander like for half an hour I like quickly leave and before I, that's like the only way I can do it. Do you guys do do you have your own kind of ritual in terms of how you go and find things or is there a certain like a market that you always like to go to or when you're traveling or going visiting a certain city? Any kind of like habits that you may have in terms of travel? In Thailand, Chabichak, which is the weekend market, that gets hundreds of thousands of people. But I like going on a Friday when they're setting up and there are no, no people buying. So you get to buy at the beginning, the same thing in Paris, you know. You go on a Friday morning and just as they're setting up, just pick it real fast. Uh, but countries, I think Istanbul, to me, I've been there eight times. And each time, to me, it's like, just so, such a perfect Western, Eastern balance to the space. Borneo, uh, Burma, which is just so rich with what you see. I mean, I, I find the Far East, you know, Southeast Asia, much more. I mean, Africa is wonderful for the, the nature, but, you know, just you travel through, whether it's Vietnam, Indonesia, any of those places, to me, it's, it's so rich with simple talent. You know, how they wrap something in the marketplace, it's just, just so artistic, you know. See, I, I, I love all of that, but I think that if you go to somewhere, for me, off the beaten map might be somewhere like just going to Scotland where the arts and crafts movement was so, so prominent and the, and the auctions, even the provincial auctions are phenomenal. And the, 
you know, the museum in Edinburgh is just phenomenal. And so I, I think that Scotland is one of the places where it sort of enriches your soul. The nature is so beautiful, but also you can find all kinds of odd things from jewelry to, to chairs. And, and I think that's a place that is a little bit off the beaten map for me, but I go back to England to get back to, you know, a base of, and relax. So I uh, there you go. All I have to say, Scotland. <laughs> yeah. And what about just sort of plain old vacation, or you know, where do you just go to relax and maybe to be inspired, maybe not to be inspired at all, and just be isolated? Where's your sort of go-to to get away, just plainly? Well, I've just been on honeymoon, which is a different sort of vacation. Obviously, <laughs> um, it's a working vacation. <laughs> right? Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully it's not work. <laughs> so, yeah. It was indecently pleasurable. But, um, yeah. no, but I'm now, now in a Texan. So it really is a complete stranger to England. I've never been to England apart from London. And, and so I tell her, you know, that we'd go on a very exotic honeymoon around England. We didn't even, we didn't even get to Scotland. We did, we did get to Derbyshire. She was very keen on seals. So we had to go and look at seals in Norfolk and in, in the city islands or Cornwall. But, but in between the two, we went, we went to Derbyshire to a very beautiful 17th century um, bowling pavilion that was one of the great mansions that is now just sitting on its own. Most exquisite, tiny building with one, one, one room, really, with a bed in it and a little kitchen of my own. And it belongs to a thing called the Landmark Trust, which is a fantastic charity in England that rescues these beautiful old garden follies and garden buildings, unusual buildings, and you can rent them for holiday. And that was, I, I've got to say, extraordinary, because the most depressing, I mean, sort of a New Jersey of England, mm -hmm. or, you know, it, it was a very depressing, small, you know, place in the Midlands, ex-industrial area, um, but with this incredible gem of a building that now surrounded by a farm, a working farm, and the sort of ruins of the old house. And, and you're just there, transported into some sort of completely unreal other world. Wonderful. And one of my uh, last questions before we open it up to the audience was uh, this idea of, you know, if you worked with a, a young designer today and you once told them that they needed to go on a grand tour of like people used to, where would you tell them, you know, spend, spend a month here, spend a month there, really absorb it as part of an education? Obviously, we mentioned... We may have already gone over some of this, but is there any places where you feel like you know designers should really kind of truly educate themselves? That's Florence. Not here? I think you walk through Florence. It was all created there. It was all yeah, just for there. I mean, Venice. Oh, Rome! Every layer of Rome yeah. is phenomenal, and you feel like I, I mean, when we were we had that tour. I, we were told that basically for every layer that you see, there's seven layers underneath and that you can actually, in places, travel down and through time. And that just is, you know, it's the beginning of civilization. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty phenomenal. That's true. I mean, anywhere. But also the provincial cities like Mantua and Ferrara, particularly. Ferrara is incredible. Because more or less nothing happened in Ferrara after the Essay family were shut down in about 1600. And it became the Vatican property, and they, they, they just let it stagnate. Unbelievably beautiful, sort of perfect early Renaissance city, all still preserved, and, and, and almost nobody there looking at uh, 
I'm on my phones, which is yeah, no, it's kind of yeah. pedestrian traffic tonight. But I'm incredibly beautiful. I'm saying <laughs> Italy, great. Thank you. No. Uh, actually, I wanted to uh, turn it over to the audience for a second, so I don't know if we're going to turn the lights. I just remember if we didn't. To the ladies' room, did you say? <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, does anyone have any questions? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Each one of you have a design business. You also have your, your product design. And I'm just curious to know, uh, what is the most exciting or biggest opportunity you all each facing in either one of those categories? For me, it's like the challenge of self-promotion. You want to do a good job for your client, and I always think of shopping or specifying my own things last. So it's almost as if, you know, I, I showed a item that I designed in, a, in the context of a house that I was working on, that's a rarity. And so remembering to fish in your own pond and not have to rediscover when you are influenced by your clients, but I don't necessarily think that my clients want to purchase my pieces. And finding that they might is always um, extraordinary and humbling, but also like, oh, I'm like, oh, yay. You know, that's very exciting. But it's not, I don't think of it first. I always think of the hunt for you know, I love the hunt and finding other people's things or the oldest thing or the beautiful patina. For me, it's always finding the new. And if I've been prototyping something for a year before it's launched, I don't think of it as new any longer and I don't want to look at it. So. Right there. That's a good question. You might get a number. I mean, <laughs> when I have to deal with you in sound systems, I'm totally confused. <laughs> so, no, it's so funny, but when I'm alone in the office, it's the only time I, and I'm designing, I put music on. And it's interesting because it allows the creative process to flow in a much easier way. I, I feel, you know, I fall into a beat, and then I'm able to, to create in a much easier way. Not necessarily representing the music that I'm listening to, but just the, how it allows it to rise to the surface. And that's the imagination work, doesn't it? Yes. Conscious, conscious mm -hmm. I've worked for a couple of musicians, and I think for me, the only thing that became, because I'm not a musician and trying to get into their booths and translate what they're asking for, is finding something soulful. And whether that is a piece of furniture or a material, or how you articulate a space, if you can create something that they feel is soulful that is as musical as I've been able to translate. So what that is, is subject to interpretation based on the client. I do seminars uh, for designers, uh, two-day seminars, where the guest speakers that come and, you know, it's about sharing and people talking about what their problems are and you know, everybody's sort of working on it. But small groups, not, not big groups. Either of you? Do you guys ever teach or lecture or do anything like that? Rarely lecture, as you can tell. 
But um, I will say that there is a, you're, it's incumbent on you to teach because if you have a few people that work with you, and I have a very small staff, that you're working with junior designers that their, uh, their sensitivities infect yours, but you are, for me, it's an obligation to, to give information to them, to make them better, to give them an ability to articulate what you are trying to get out of them and to teach them. So I think that the nature of our business is that you need to take it down the line and it's give a responsibility. Yeah, it's a responsibility. Somebody did that for me. And I can go off on a tangent, and you can see sometimes, you know, somebody's glazing over, and I'm like, well, this wood, you can tell this is this wood because of the grain, and see, this is a cathedral, and this is what this is called. But in that split second, they get information that if you just gloss over it and say, I, you know, do that as a quarterstone oak, without saying, okay, this is how quarterstone oak happens, this is the technology, this is the cut line, this is... So I think it's incumbent on you to take the next generation and give them information that you were given, so I don't physically teach, but I think you are teaching your clients as well. Same thing. Uh, yeah. well, <laughs> thank, I just want to say they thank you to uh, the PDC and everyone join us uh, upstairs. I think it's on the sixth floor uh, for the reception afterwards. And thank you all for coming so much. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic, a history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Jane, Dan, Vincent, and Ashley for participating in this conversation. Thank you to the Pacific Design Center for your many years of partnership and collaboration. Thank you, Jeff, for putting this panel together and casting it so masterfully. You are truly missed. Thank you, Thermosol, Article, York Wall Coverings, Franz Fiegner, and Moya Living for your partnership and support. You are remarkable partners and allies for the trade. And thank you for listening and subscribing to the podcast. I know you already know this, but there are literally hundreds of past episodes of Convo by Design that you probably haven't heard, especially if you're new to the show. So go check them out. Until next week, be well, and take today first. 